This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of It's Called Soccer. There is a lot to get to today with Jesse Marsh out as Leeds manager. The She Believes Cup is coming up this week, and there is a lot of controversy within Canadian soccer. So we'll cover all of that. But first, we'll talk about all of the Yanks abroad pretty quiet week but a few big goals from some players that we need to track so before we get to all of that i'm your host jake here in philadelphia pennsylvania here joined by tom and ellie as always let's start with how we're doing ellie what's up how are you doing pretty good doing pretty good happy week just enjoying getting ready for the super bowl later today should be a fun one yeah tom how about you Oh, been so busy lately. This is the first crunch time of the semester, so I've been just cranking out work all week. Finally hoping to get a lull here after tomorrow. It'll be great. Maybe I'll even get to watch the Super Bowl tonight. I know that everyone at State College is getting really excited. I'm sure that in Philadelphia it's the same way. Oh yeah, we're in Go Birds country. It's been a while since there's been a good sports riot in State College, so I'm hoping the the Eagles win so that we can just see them the downtown go crazy tonight. Yeah, just grease those poles, make sure your car doesn't get flipped, and you'll be good to go. Tough. <laughs> oh yeah being even being in westchester pennsylvania which is like an hour outside of philadelphia for college there was some car flipping going on oh yeah be careful out there too. all right let's start with the yanks abroad on wednesday it featured the first Leeds game without jesse marsh at the helm weston mckinney's first start for the team as well Leeds went up two nothing away at old trafford but it was not to be as manu came storming back for a draw adams and aronson also featured there on Thursday, Reggie Cannon was back in action in Liga Portugal for Boa Vista. And on Friday, Serginho Dest was not in the lineup for AC Milan. And Daryl DK had a quiet showing as West Bromwich Albion lost to Austin Trustees Birmingham City 2-0. Now, before we get to the weekend game, guys, maybe let's just react a little bit. We'll talk about Jesse Marsh at large later in this episode. But watching that game against Manchester United, seeing leads up 2-0, what are what's the emotion saying? Are we still bought into Leeds or do we do we feel negatively because of how they treated Jesse Marsh? It's hard not to buy in when Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams are on the field at the same time. It just was really fun watching the two of them bulldoze over the Manchester United midfield, watching McKenney just constantly be ready to fight ready to fight someone, watching Adams just instinctively know when to pull him away so he doesn't get multiple yellow cards at the same time. So it's going to be hard for me not to buy into Leeds, just given how much it's so much fun to watch McKenny and Adams play together. Yeah, a lot of Bash Bros memes going around. Ellie, how are you feeling about Leeds these days? Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V 
to receive your awards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. I'm still, I even without Jesse Marsh, it hurts a little bit, but at the same time, I just, seeing the Kenny and Adams, and even seeing Aronson come back on the field and this week have two shots on target, just absolutely amazing. And just such a joy to see all three of them together Hoping to see Weston McKinney maybe pull out World Cup Aronson a little bit and get a little bit of a more positive look at someone that we've all been watching with some skepticism lately. So it's hard to, I agree with Tom, it's hard to not be positive about all this. It's hard to throw it all, throw in the towel over one sad situation. Well, yeah, is this the first time we'd ever seen three Americans in the same field with Premier League playing for the same team? It has to be. I don't think that... Luca De La Torre ever made a Fulham appearance with Tim Ream and Jedi there. So that, that's the only other Maybe team I the Bride the Brian McBride era Fulham team, did they ever have three? Unless Emerson Heinemann was like further in the future as well. Yeah. I don't think that ever happened. And to think back, Landon Donovan and Tim Howard were probably the other two, but there wasn't a third person at Everton. So in, in two games in a row now, because of the weekend game that we'll talk about. Aronson was also on the pitch with both of them. So it's quite a sight to see, but hopefully they stay up here. Um, two really important games coming up, one against Everton and the next against Southampton. Again, I can't wait to talk about Jesse Marsh because he is now being rumored to potentially be the Southampton manager as they let go of their manager. So in two matches, we could see Jesse Marsh back at Elland Road in charge of Southampton in a relegation battle. But Let's talk about that a little bit later. Let's walk through the weekend slate of games. Chris Richards was out with a back injury for Crystal Palace, so we'll wait to see how serious that is. Tim Ream and Jedi continued to perform admirably for Fulham as they shook Nottingham Forest to the core 2 to nothing to keep up their European spots in the Premier League. Yunus Musa started for surprise relegation candidates Valencia in their 2-0-2-1 loss to Athletic Club Tom What's happening with Valencia here? I don't know. It's frustrating, though. As every single one of our midfielders is now in a relegation battle, which is not the position group I would have picked to be going through relegation battles in Europe right now. It's really frustrating to watch our midfield in action in Europe right now because their teams are all awful. <laughs> it's really annoying. Uh, it's fun to watch those individual guys play, but man, Valencia's got to get it together. And you can't put that squarely on Eunice Moose's shoulders. Ellie, I want to ask you about Gio Reyna because he finally got a start at Dortmund this weekend, but he did have a quiet day. So even though he's been coming off the bench and scoring lately, he was subbed out at the nil-nil time Dortmund went on to win the match. What did you think from Gio Reyna's start? Were you happy to see him start or would you rather see him come off the bench and get some more goals? I'm gonna rattle. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put throw in something a little controversial. I think Gio Reyna needs to be the super sub for Dortmund. I, having watched that performance, he was incredibly dangerous and was on the attack the whole time and was fine. But in each of his previous performances since coming back from injury, he has scored and has made an absolute change of pace, change of game, change of everything once hitting the field. This game, he did not score. He looked really solid on attack, but I really don't think like having to pull him out early, I just think it would have made much a much bigger difference having him come in as a super sub. And I hope to see him play that role a little bit more, 
especially as he's coming back from injury. And even later on, I think, in my mind, he plays a similar Pulisic super sub awesome off the bench role. I was about to say that parallels almost exactly what we saw Pulisic doing, especially towards the end of his Dortmund career. Tom, what do you think about Giorena's situation? Should he be starting or coming off the bench? He's not fully healthy, I don't think. Even when he does play, he doesn't seem to be moving right. He did get one minute to sub-appearance, I guess, over the midweek. And he did actually sprint for the first time. I think we've seen him go for full sprint since the World Cup. I just think that his movement's not right. Terzic says he's not 100%, and it's just best to limit his minutes as much as possible to make sure he stays healthy and doesn't get another injury that derails his development. Like Ellie said, he's looked really good coming off the bench. There's probably a really great joke that you can make somewhere about him having a limited role and doing really well in a limited role that I'm not clever enough to make slash Twitter would crucify me for. I, let's just keep letting him cook for Dortmund coming off the bench. Make sure he stays healthy. Keep those muscles developing without another setback. It's all engagement. If you want to tell us <laughs> how wrong we are about Giorena, put that in the comments. Because it helps us to show this video to more people. But Tom, I want to stay with you because you are the XG believer and there is a crazy outlier in the Bundesliga this season with an American on it. Jordan P. Fox saw minutes as a substitute as Union Berlin continued their incredible season. They beat Leipzig away 2-1 to one to stay in the chase. They're only a point behind Bayern Munich right now. So what are you thinking in terms of Union Berlin? Do they continue this? Statistically, no. But by now, I would have expected them to fall back beyond, beyond the pace. Like the, this is Regression to the mean is coming. I don't know when. If it stays the whole season, great. It'd be awesome to see Bayern dethroned. But I would be shocked if they don't end up eventually falling back behind, beyond, back down to a normal value. I'm looking at their XG right now. They're scoring. Let's see. Come on, FopMob. While you do that, I'll just say yeah. a little bit about their coach's comments after. He was still joking that they're, they're just now being safe from the relegation zone. So a very similar talk track to Marco Silva at Fulham. Just alluding to how at the beginning of the season, their goal was to avoid relegation. Now they're one point off the pace being champions in the Bundesliga. Yeah, okay, so they've scored 35 goals. They have 23 XG. They are plus 12 on their XG right now. That's not sustainable, but they've won five in a row and continue to do really great in the Bundesliga. So I've been calling them out for being lucky since like November. And even been saying PFOC was one of the luckiest players individually in Europe based on G minus XG numbers. So sometimes you get these crazy outliers. I don't know if they can keep up for a full season, but yeah, they're right there on the pace, right there in the chase for the Bundesliga title. And they're going to need to keep it up because their goal difference is way worse than Bayern and they somehow still are right with them. Ellie, are you a believer? Hey, who doesn't love a Cinderella story? Who doesn't love a good come from behind a underdog who who comes up and beats Goliath? Like, I'm fully supporting. I do have so many questions and <laughs> a lot of skepticism. Having seen past Bundesliga seasons and seen the outcomes and everything, I have so many doubts. But I'm with them all the way. If they can hold it, more power to them. Absolutely, I'm in their corner. Bayern always seems to snatch the Bundesliga season, even when it's close with great teams historically, like Dortmund and Leverkusen. Give it a month and they'll be pulled away by, by at least 10 points. That's my prediction. I know that Berlin has been on an amazing run, but give it about a month and a half. There's still a long way to go in these seasons. And Again, I feel like you were saying, you were saying yeah. the same thing in November, Tom. 
saying the exact same thing since like at least the beginning of November. So I could be completely wrong, but the, all the math dictates that eventually this will end up being Bayern's competition to lose with Dortmund and Berlin fading down the stretch, as is tradition for about a decade in the Bundesliga. And talking of close races, we'll move back to the championship, the second division in England. Josh Sargent started for Norwich in their one nothing one yeah, one nothing loss to Bristol City. Zach Steffens Middlesbrough won three one against Cardiff. Ethan Horvath Luton played to a one one draw with Coventry. And to finish off Saturday, Ricardo Pepe's Gronigan gets smashed six nil by PSV. And Cameron Carter Vickers continues his player of the season form for Celtic. As they roll 5-1 on St. Mirren. Tom, I know you're a CV believer. There's been moments this season that just make you think he he has the potential to be our best center back. Do you think he gets there in four years when we host the World Cup? I think he's the next Scotland Premier League player to make the move to the Premier League in England. I just he's been playing so well. There's Scottish Premier League outlets that are comparing him to Virgil van Dyke and how well he's performed for Celtic this season. I can't see him not making the move and being very successful in the Premier League whenever he decides to make that jump. So I think that's the next step. I'm a firm believer that he's got the skills to do it. Yeah. And so on Sunday, staying in England, the Queen's death created a situation in which Leeds and Manchester United played each other home and away in consecutive games. On Sunday, the home tie for Leeds at Elland Road. It does not go as planned. The game stays 0-0 pretty deep into the match. But again, Manchester United gets the best, it has to be said, of Leeds. A Marcus Rashford header was the winning goal, but Leeds fall 2-0 to Manchester United. Adams and McKinney started with Aaron Singh coming off the bench again. So, Ellie, I want to ask you now, what does Leeds do? What type of coach should they be looking for? Should they look to continue someone with Jesse Marsh's style or... Should they look for someone more pragmatic that's just going to try and keep them up? That's a great question. I am, I'm not going to lie. I'm not entirely sure. And I'm not entirely sure what coaches and where. That's one place that I'm still very much learning and still very much trying to get as much intake as possible, especially with the whole U.S. men's national team coach situation popping up. Um, the one thing I do know is they just signed Weston McKenney. They have a very, they have a great midfield and they have a very strong team that if they can find a coach that utilizes everyone to their best ability, on some level, it might be best to just survive as long as possible and wait to the summer and get someone who's going to make the best out of the players. If they're already at the bottom of the table, maybe it's in their best interest to spend a little time sacrifice a few games and then get someone who's going to win the rest consistently and bring them out of their situation. It's a um, really tough question. You know, it's stopped yeah. them from leaking goals so much. Who's available right now? Thomas Dougal. I was going to say Graham Potter, maybe. <laughs> he will also be available very soon. So <laughs> that might not be a bad one as well. But yeah, Thomas Tuchel, get him in a back five, get him organized. McKenny Adams, double pivot in the center. You might not score any goals, but you're not going to give up any goals the rest of the season. So that Thomas might be the way to go. Tommy Tuchel is on a yoga retreat somewhere in India, which is probably something that Jesse Marsh needs at this point. We'll see what happens with Leeds. But going back to Spain, Luca de la Torre has now solidified his place in the starting lineup for Celta. He left the game at 0-0 against Atletico Madrid, but Madrid did win the game one nothing. 
Joe Scally and Gladbach had a tough day against Hertha, 4-1 to one loss. Timothy Weah started again for Lille in their 2-0 victory over Strasbourg, but he played left back again. So, Ellie, do we rather see Timothy Weah get the start at a position where we don't want to see him, or would we rather him play right wing? and get spot minutes. I just think he needs the minutes at this point. He'll learn something from playing on the back line, right? He's going to get something out of it. I just keep telling myself that he's learning something. I don't know what yet, but he's definitely going to come out of this having gained some kind of experience that will somehow help him. But I want to see him starting up where he's supposed to play. I thought last week he had really shown... But when you play him in his proper position, he looks dangerous. He's a solid player. Apparently not. And I would really like to talk to Leal about that, but I'm not entirely sure how. If any coaches at Leal want to talk to me about playing players in positions, about specifically Timothy Weah, please hit me up. There we go. Talk to Ellie about Timothy Weah. Um, Timothy Weah has publicly stated that he does not like to play left back. Is he one of the American players that is looking for a move come the summer? Yes, absolutely at this point. If he can't get minutes at right wing or left wing or anywhere on the front line, really, I'm not really that picky. Just he's got to go get somewhere, find somewhere he's going to get that consistent start on the front line. I don't know if that's the Bundesliga, if that's Serie A, if that's La Liga. I don't think it's the Premier League. Just find a mid-table club somewhere that will take him and play him. Yep. All right, in France, Eric Palmer Brown and Twa get rocked by a Fuller and Balogun goal as Rems win the game for nothing. Ellie, were you able to see the Balogun goal? I was, and it was so good. He just beat the defender, and there's just no chance. He's just gone. Beautifully placed in the net. Wonderful goal. Blair Balogun, please come sign with the U.S. Men's National Team. Sincerely, this podcast host... Beats, beats the defender. By defender, do you mean Eric Palmer Brown? <laughs> Look, he you know, a three bo- through ball. He absolutely makes a great run. And the goal, just a beautiful goal. I'm sorry to Eric Palmer Brown. There was nothing he could have done. EPB got shook. He got shrugged off by Fuller and Balligan, slotted at home with his left foot. This guy can do everything. I think it's only salt on the wounds if we watch that goal and Balligan chooses another country. And we have to live with the fact that EPV was the one involved in that play. But Balogun showed his worth. He stays at the top of the goal-scoring table in league above Mbappe, Neymar, Messi, all of those guys. Balogun, yeah, signed all of us from It's Called Soccer Podcast. Probably everyone listening, please choose the U.S. going forward. Mark McGenzie puts in a solid shift for Gank as they lose to Antwerp 1-0. And Taylor Booth, Continues his starts for Utrecht, but they lost two to nothing to Vitesse. And I want to end the Yanks abroad on a crazy game in Scotland because Malik Tillman and James Sands both start in a game for Rangers as they took on Partick Thistle. I wanted to say Patrick Thistle. Tillman gets stomped on, and the game stops for VAR review. VAR reviews the stump. They don't give a foul or a card to the defender. Then, because Rangers put the ball out of bounds to have Tillman checked by the medical staff, Arctic Thistle throws in the ball, and the defender takes his time, giving the ball back to Rangers. In that time, Malik Tillman steals the ball from the defender, runs to goal, and scores. Arctic Thistle is not very happy with the poor sportsmanship shown by Malik Tillman. 
And the Rangers team gives a goal back to Partick Thistle to have the game be at 2-2. And then James Sands gets the winner in the 86th minute off a corner kick. He heads the ball home for Rangers to finally win the game 3-2. Now, if you watch the highlights and that entire, the entirety of the play, you'll possibly see that Malik Tillman was down injured and didn't see necessarily that the ball was kicked out to have him tended to. So personally, I don't think that he meant to have bad sportsmanship. I don't think he saw that the ball was played out of bounds and that Partick Thistle was trying to give it back to them. But I want to dive into this because it was just a crazy run of events that you rarely see. Ellie, what did you think of Tillman's goal? Did he do it on purpose or was he just trying to boost that goal scoring up? It's really hard to say. Poor Tom was watching the game and I caught them right as Tillman scored the goal. I watched him get shoved to the ground and immediately texted. was like, this is wild. What's going on? And then went back and thought. Personally, I can absolutely see it from his perspective of not being able to see that. The injury, it looked very painful. And if I'm in his position and I have something like that happen, I'm not going to be paying attention to anyone doing whatever they're doing on the field. I'm just going to be making sure that I'm okay. And so they're absolutely, that absolutely would make sense. But... Also, you would think one of his teammates would say something. You would think that some communication would happen there. And so it may, I think this all just chops up to a major failure of communication on every single person's part that was then solved by that, the goal given away right after. I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm less sympathetic to it just because of how bad Partick Thistle is as a club. This is the, this is like not a first division Scottish team they are not in 538's list of the top 641 clubs in the world right now below teams like the las vegas lights rangers played the champions league last year so imagine giving up a goal on a fair play sports event like that where you're just trying to give the ball back and you end up conceding a goal because your defender makes a poor touch and someone steals it off his foot when his head's down he's not even expecting that so I hope it's a failure of communication because otherwise it's just supremely a dick move by malik tillman and <laughs> Very, he's very lucky that he ends the game without a major incident occurring, I think, given how it all plays out. I think it probably could have been worse other than the goalkeeper spinning him around and doing a 360. Until he, goalkeeper he probably should have been spent, sent off for two-hand shoving him to the ground. I understand why he did it, but the whole event was just wild. It's kind of, you have to look at all of that in a vacuum, right? And the goalkeeper was doing it for a reason, but at the same time, hands to the face or violent conduct that might still be a valid red card so it's a lot to take in i would encourage everyone to go look at the reddit threads because there's some great controversy in the comments there and Sa james sands gets the winning goal for rangers so happy ending for all american fans here and a not so happy ending let's talk about jesse marsh his time at leeds is over personally i think it was too soon especially if leeds were looking to replace him there was really no reason to do it before the two Manchester United games. They could have potentially been looking for a replacement behind the scenes like they are doing now, except Jesse Marsh's performances have been best against top six teams in the Premier League, ones that play a more aggressive style. Those are the teams that get taken advantage of by Jesse Marsh and his former Leeds club. So in my mind, one point that they get out of these two games is okay. It's probably the second worst case scenario that you could possibly have. But when I think about 
the way that Jesse was starting to get the team to play, we've talked about the Nottingham Forest game, right? They were the better team. The Forest goal was the first touch that they had in their opponent's box. The foul itself was given on an offside that should have been called. All of these things together just make me think that Jesse Marsh was let go way too early for Leeds. And even if they were looking for a replacement, they could have done so while he took the team to Manchester United and back to Ellen Road. Ellie, what do you make of the whole Jesse Marsh situation at Leeds? I agree that it was too early. I think that there should have been grace in that, especially I'm really confused why they gave him the transfer window to like all that money to spend on new players and helping his system. And then after the very first match, they fire him. It, it seemed very rushed. It seemed almost in response to fan reaction rather than actually thinking through the action. I know the fans were very upset with Marsh and that there was lots of anger about the relegation battle, but it just, it was, there's too much, it seemed very much like a snap decision. And I think there should have given, there should have been more time given for that. Yeah. Tom, how do you feel about Justin Marsh and Leeds? I'm with Ellie here. I just, I don't understand why you would spend 40 million pounds for a manager who you're going to fire the next week. It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You're clearly making moves. They show you believe in the manager and then all of a sudden he does, loses to Forrest and you decide he's gone. And a game that I thought they were the better team, especially Kaylin Abbas had some pretty good saves to keep Forrest ahead in that game. I think it was better than the average Leeds performance in some ways, there was the second half was not good, but I don't know. I'm struggling with why you would fire him that quickly, especially with how many games there are left. I feel like he could have done better with the Manchester United performances than having the club be in complete disarray. You were using their ta- they're still using his tactics. I don't I just I don't get it. And even the transfer window, you said forty million. It could be up to seventy if they keep McKenney and a few others have their options triggered. I agree with you. Some of the fans after the 2-2 draw at Old Trafford were saying that's that never would have happened with Jesse. They were using the exact same tactics. <laughs> like Skubala, the interim manager, has not changed anything. And so any fans that are looking at this as a positive, you haven't gotten anything additional. I do want to say the counter-argument is very valid, though. Four wins the entire season. He hasn't done himself many favors to gain that. But at the same time, you can't just listen to the fan sentiment when, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds are on the line between relegation and staying in the Premier League. So we did mention that Southampton have been rumored. I'm glad we're recording today because Southampton today has been rumored to be in contact with Jesse Marsh, potentially as the next manager for that club. Now, they had a woeful performance this weekend. They were up one nothing against a 10-man Wolves. Wolves are also in the relegation battle at home. And they lost that game at home at St. Mary's, two to one to Wolves. Fired their manager. Now they're without one. Jesse Marsh could come in. Would that be a good move for Jesse Marsh? They look bound to be relegated. This one's kind of feels like a losing battle to me. I'm not really sure that I would envy anyone trying to step in and save that ship. They, I think, are my most likely team to get relegated this season. Yeah, and. What about Jesse Marsh in the championship? Is that an idea that you're open to? Yeah, I, I think that he's probably his tactics probably would work better in the championship than they would the Premier League. Yeah. Ellie, where do you hope Jesse Marsh ends up? I have no idea. This is this is one area that I have been trying to get as much knowledge about very fast. Figuring out 
coaching strategies and lineups and configurations and all of these things. I genuinely don't know. I would love to see him continue in in the Prem and continue to like bring more eyes to U.S. soccer and continue to bring more fans, hopefully, to the sport would be fantastic. I think that he could definitely do that as the head coach of the U.S. men's national team in that way, which is something that I hear running around a lot. But I don't, I think he would be fine in the championship. I think wherever he ends up, I think it'll be really cool to see what he does next. But honestly, this is one I'm really not sure about. Do you think that there's any truth to the rumors that the U.S. is interested in him? There's a very particularly interesting rumor that Jim Curtin might be his assistant and they might go an offense-defense style, Marsh coaching the offense, Curtin coaching the defense system over the next few years that would be, I think, unprecedented in U.S. soccer history. I'm personally not opposed to it. And Tom, I don't know if you picked up on this, but when we were at the United Soccer Coaches Conference in Philadelphia a few weeks ago, they were both speakers, Jim Curtin and Jesse Marsh. In Jim Curtin's interview, that was touched upon, and it was hinted very strongly that it could happen. So not only is it a rumor, but I think we've heard from the coaches themselves that this could potentially happen where you have someone that is the head coach and you have an assistant, but they're getting like a U.S. basketball Olympic style where you just get the all-stars of U.S. soccer coaches all together on one team. I'm not opposed to it. I'm, yeah, to it. not either. U.S. coaches, very, I think they have different styles. I think they have different pieces there, but if they can make it work with their personalities and make it so that they're challenging each other to get better and help the team, I'm fully in support of that. Now, I think it also has to be said, you probably don't want to do something unprecedented and risky going into one of the most important times in your Federation's history when we're also going to be hosting the World Cup. So I'll have to balance that out in my mind, but I'm vibing with it right now. I would be down with it. I will say that I don't want a full Red Bull system being implemented by the U.S. in the cycle. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that it would work very well. I think that it would be frustrating to watch. So I think I'm more okay with Marsh taking on the role if we bring on the mediating factor of someone like Curtin than I am with him just being appointed manager solely from the get-go. I do hope that's the silver lining for Jesse Marsh being fired from Leeds is to know that there is a time to start shifting and maybe a little bit more towards pragmatism when you're playing a team in a low block. And surprise, low blocks are effective for a reason. They have been frustrating coaches and teams for decades. It's not just Greg Berhalter. It's not just Jesse Marsh. It's Pep Guardiola. It's Jurgen Klopp. Low blocks are effective for a reason. And Jesse Marsh, I just hope that wherever he goes next, he solidifies his defensive capabilities He's able to be a little bit more flexible because I'm still a believer in him as a coach. Ellie, I don't know if you had anything to add on the Jim Kurt and Jesse Marsh. What do you think is the next USM&T manager situation? I'm just going to continue to echo the I know what the fuck I So many names thrown out and I don't know anything about their strategic style. I'm not even sure I fully quite comprehend strategic styles. But I understand the concept, but I don't think just having come into these conversations, I've spent enough time analyzing and reading and talking about these things to have a full conversation. I would love to learn more. This is something, this is a conversation that I would love to have a whole seminar about because it 
from just having heard from the sidelines sounds terrifyingly complicated and everyone has their own thing and I'm just trying to follow along with it. The one that the people I keep hearing are what Chris Armas, Jim Curtin, Jesse Marsh. Yeah, just all these names in an echo tunnel. So no idea. Just gonna. I want to know from the people watching and listening in the comments who, okay, who is the next USMNT manager and what's the best next team for Jesse Marsh to start? I think the timing is going to be completely off, honestly, for Jesse Marsh to come to the U.S. national team because we don't have a sporting director. So in order for him to become the coach, I think the U.S. Soccer Federation would essentially need to jump their own recommendation for themselves to have the sporting director in charge of the coaching the coaching search because Jesse Marsh is going to be snatched up by a different team, whether it's Southampton or someone else, before the next few months are out. So if U.S. soccer wants Jesse Marsh as the next coach, I don't think they can wait to hire a new sporting director. They'll need to go against their own directive there. But we'll see. Yeah. Great. Be, also be on the lookout. The next community roster poll is written for a few weeks from now. Just to preview, there is a question asking who you think should be the next U.S. manager. And I'm really interested to see how that goes. Perfect. Make sure to join the Discord. That link is down in the description. There is a lot of heated debate as well in the Leeds United part of the Discord too. A lot of Leeds fans versus U.S. fans there. So great discussion there. All right, next up, the U.S. 7, U17 CONCACAF Championship is now in full swing. We had our first match against Barbados. We won that 5 to nothing. First Medina with a hat trick. K-Roll Figueroa, the Liverpool U18 player, got a goal as a substitute. And we roll on to play against Trinidad and Tobago. I think that's tomorrow night, again, on Fox Sports. So I watched the game. It was messy. It was dirty. The field was not good. A lot of our players' touches were bouncing all over the place. Also, we while we had a lot of opportunities, the game was two to nothing for a very long time, up until about the 83rd or 84th minute when we scored three right at the end. I think we were just breaking down Barbados. The physical level started to show, but it wasn't, I will say, it wasn't the commanding and dominating performance that you would think of five to nothing. Barbados didn't have many chances, but I would have expected the U.S. to be a little bit more dominant, especially when we saw Mexico put up nine, I think, in their first match. So you're playing that game of doesn't matter how many goals you score. Is that an effective way to to measure success for this team? So in saying that, Tom, what are you looking for in the next few matches for this U-17 squad? I think build cohesion, show that you can dominate CONCACAF the way that I would expect our youth program at this point to be able to do. You should be winning these matches by a lot. We shouldn't be struggling with a team like Trinidad and Tobago. We shouldn't struggle with a team like Barbados. Controlling these games effectively, finding ways to create scoring chances will be important. And just seeing who steps up and plays well. I think Cruz Medina is the most exciting name. These tournaments have a way of showing you who your top prospects are. It was the U-17 World Cup where Christian Pulisic became the top prospect for the U.S. men's national team. And I think Cruz Medina is the guy who has it. And hopefully we see him show it for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, Cruz Medina, our number 10. I, I wrote and read a comment after the first half. Cruz Medina has a Gio Reyna level of cockiness, which is good and bad. Bad because he missed a penalty that he tried to Penenka, but good because he tries stuff and it works. <laughs> so. That second goal was an absolute rocket. Yeah. And it was a knuckleball too. Like 
people are going to say the goalie should have saved that, but when it goes left and then goes right in midair, that's pretty difficult to stop. Yeah. Ellie, what are you looking for in the U17 CONCACAF championships going forward? Are is five to nothing a good result against Barbados? Having seen, I was able to watch the highlight reel and watch a little bit of catching up a little on it. And I think we needed to put more balls in the back of the net. There were so many chances that were created and there were so many opportunities for scoring that part of it was Barbados had some really good saves and their goalkeeper was on it. But some of those just have to go in. And there, I think there is definitely needs to be a conversation about, about, I, I hate using the word finishing, but about finishing those shots and making sure that and here, yeah, I know that's its own conversation, but about making sure that we're taking those chances and actually putting them away and getting some goals out of it. I will say though, I thought it was really exciting and there were some really amazing shots. And I think that there was a really, I think that we have a solid starting point. I would just like to see a little bit more, a little bit more of a finish there with a lot of those shots. Do you think that we tend to say this a lot about first games of tournaments for our US youth teams? I think that it tends to be, we didn't look that great in this first game. Let's see what we can do going forward. And a lot of times they end up putting it together. So I think we said the same thing about the U20 caps last year. So we'll see. There's a lot of room to build. You also don't really have a tough opponent until Mexico. So yeah, Canada was able to win their match against Trinidad, even though Trinidad went down to 10 men. They still scored three against them. And I will say the pitch was bad. It was the first time the team played competitively together in the CONCACAF tournament. And we are rotating a lot of players because the games are essentially two days apart. So you don't have much time to breathe and recover. Isn't your flu going through the team as well? I have not heard that, but we'll check on that. We'll make sure. I thought I heard that. Yeah, it very well could be because we played with the roster setup was a little bit weird where we didn't have any natural wingers. We had three or four center backs on the pitch and not natural fullbacks either. So it worked. We won the game, but potentially we were saving our best for some of these next matches. So again, next match is USA versus Trinidad and Tobago. That is Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch that on Fox Sports 1. All right. Some more national team games coming up. This Thursday is the first game for the U.S. Women's National Team in the She Believes Cup. They will take on Canada at Exploria Stadium in Orlando, Florida. Then three days later, they'll play in Nashville against Japan. Ellie will be there. And then three days after that, USA will take on Brazil in Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. So the She Believes Cup, if you are not familiar with it, it's an annual tournament between four different teams. They play everyone once, so it's a group stage. The team with the most points wins the trophy. The tiebreaker is, I believe, yellow cards or red cards. So it is the sportsman's trophy if points are tied. Ellie, I know you're going to the Nashville match, but tell us a little bit about this women's team, what we're looking for in the She Believes Cup. Right now, it's looking at looking forward to that World Cup roster, looking at the squad and seeing who's going to shine through, who's going to continue to show form and trying out more players in different positions and seeing what sticks. Lots of questions still about the midfield, lots of questions about Alex Morgan and who's going to be there for that striker position and what that looks like and who comes in as backup and things like that. So 
this is definitely a chance for the U.S. women's national team to continue to play around with who goes where and who plays what and who's in form. There's supposed to be Tierna Davidson, one of our... Center backs. Center backs. Center backs is still out injured. and But the rumor is that she's going to be training with the group not on the roster. So just a lot of injury right now is is what I'm seeing and just seeing who's going to actually be able to play and trying out a different a bunch of different players in different positions in case it doesn't quite go to plan. Yep. And in the US's first game, so all four teams has to be said are within the top nine, I think, of the world. So it's a very highly ranked tournament. And the first match will be the US versus Canada. So a CONCACAF rivalry, but something else is going on in the Canadian soccer landscape, especially for the women's team. So Tom, can you tell us a little bit about the news that has been breaking within Canadian soccer? Yeah. So Canadian soccer as a federation is pretty much a disaster, which has been the case for a long time, despite just their resurgence on the men's team. Despite a very historically successful women's team, the Canadian Soccer Federation has not consistently done a good job of promoting Canadian soccer and managing their teams well. And they have just announced a very large slash of the budget specifically for women's soccer, cutting some of the youth programs, cutting down the number of staff that they have, cutting down the number of players invited into camps, and I think even maybe slashing the salaries of the players on the women's national team that just won the gold medal at the last Olympic Games. This is a very historically successful program. Christine Sinclair is one of the best players ever to play the game on the women's side. And they just don't seem to get any respect at all from the Federation. So they have been striking as a women's team. That strike has been called off because they would be li- they term- ruled would be liable for all damages incurred by the Federation if they don't play in the She Believes Cup. But this is still very much a huge issue in the Federation, something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Ellie, what are you looking for from the Canadian women's soccer team? Are they going to be distracted going into the She Believes Cup or... Is this a fight that they should be taking head on with the Federation? I think they'll be distracted. This is a huge, it's heartbreaking to hear about, but I think that they're going to use their performance in this tournament to show just how valuable they are and just how important they are and the reasons why they shouldn't be cut. There's, it's just absolutely, it's so sad to hear and it's so not fair and I hope that the U.S. women's national team and all play all teams in this tournament use this opportunity to talk about equal pay equal rights equal everything for all players in the game the women's the U.S. women's national team has been fighting this battle for a long time and has just come out with some success in their own ways and I hope that they use that and hopefully give boosts to other women who are struggling with this right now because this is so heartbreaking. This It hurts to hear. Potentially, the She Believes Cup can be a catalyst for solidarity between the teams. If you'll recall back in 2019, when the U.S. last won the Women's World Cup, they were in their own battle for equal pay. I will say, reading about this, I know equal pay is going to be a piece that gets picked up, and you can be on either side of believing whatever, but equal pay is not the only thing here. The women's team in Canada has also had their staff cut. I've read that they have about a quarter of the staff in terms of health and physios as a U.S. women's team. So it's just something about well-being, about care, the residency that they're in Orlando training for this tournament. Some say it's the worst that they've ever seen within the, the Canadian women's soccer team. So there's much more 
to be fighting for than equal pay here. It's about having respect for what they do for the Federation and for the fans. So U.S. First Canada is that first match. What are we expecting? We know we're looking for players to come out of this and get a better sense for what the roster for the U.S. Women's National Team will look like for the World Cup. We're still the number one ranked team in the world. Are we coming out with the win in the She Believes Cup? I would hope that we do. It's a tough tournament. Brazil under Pia Sanhaj is going to be a really tough team to play. We have traditionally not played well under against teams that she has coached. That'll be a huge test for us. Japan and Canada are both really tough opponents, so getting a chance to see how we perform against them will be really important going forward. I think personally, I hope we get the win, but I'm more interested to see how we play, particularly with our midfield selections and our forward selections, especially without Katarina Macario, without Sophia Smith, knowing for sure that Julie Ertz and Sam Ewis will not be at the World Cup. We are looking to see if we can get a cohesive midfield together out of our group of six that I think is expected to be the group available for the World Cup. And we're looking to see who steps up when we don't have our two most prolific scorers in Macario and Smith. Morgan, Rodman, Swanson seem to be stepping up well, but I'd like to see more from Hatch, Persherpino, Williams, and who's just going to make those last few roster spots. Yeah, and... Given what we know about the end of last year between the three straight losses and then finally winning against Germany to end off the year, we had the two matches against New Zealand last month, but New Zealand isn't quite the competition that these teams will be. So in my mind, this is much closer to some practices and and the prep for the World Cup, and I think what we will see on the pitch is much closer to what we will see within the roster and the way that we set up in the World Cup. So I would absolutely encourage anyone that We'll be watching the World Cup later this year to make sure to watch the She Believes Cup this week for the U.S. team because you will definitely be able to see how we're starting to look and how we're starting to prepare for that tournament. All right. I think this is easily our best three matches that we're going to play before the World Cup. We'd only have two windows left after this. One of those is the send-off series. Not really that helpful for telling you how the World Cup's going to look. Won't be good teams. I don't expect us to play anyone else as good as these three before the World Cup. So this is it. This is the dress rehearsal. And at the send-off games, you'll probably know who's on the roster at that point as well. At this point, we can still guess. All right, that does it for this current episode, but Patreons will get the mailbag. So if you do want to get those questions, we are going to be talking about Taylor Booth and the talent between MLS and EPL teams before deadline day. So if you want to hear our... Are we doing roster poll? Yeah, Yeah, power rankings. Let's do power rankings. Top three? Are we doing top three? I think it was top four was what we've been doing. Uh, 12, 12 names. Who's starting? I've got a wheel of names set up. <laughs> In the wheel. Ellie, you're going to get first pick. Okay. Okay, this is where I get split. Because I have a name that I really want to pick. But I... Oh, okay. I'm going to take Tim Ream because Tim Ream is the American... Just everything. Probably the best defender in the Premier League right now. And just has shown time and time again his performances this week, his performances all season, carrying Fulham, making sure that defense is strong. It was a wonderful video I saw this week of him just absolutely sending an attacker for Nottingham Force flying out of out of bounds. And it was amazing it made my week i just thought it was fantastic you just can't not pick tim ream as your first choice even though 
man, I have someone else that I really want to pick for this first choice, but that's fine. We can ream. Respect. <laughs> All right. I think the wheel comes up with Jake next as our second picker here. Tyler Adams. No sad. Do we even have to talk about all the great things that Tyler Adams does week in and week out? He's just a destroyer. He runs the match for every team he plays for. He's the metronome. And if I was building any team, he'd be the first pick just to build the team around. But Tim Reed, good shout. Tyler Adams. Reeves a good first pick. <laughs> all right. I guess we're going snake style. So do I have the next two picks? Yep. Cool. Ellie's going to hate me for this. My first pick is going to be Anthony Robinson. I'm taking Jedi first off the board here. I, we forgot about him last week. He's playing so right now. Fulham is looking so good. How could you not pick him near the top of this draft? I think he gets flies under the radar just with how good of a job he does. He never stands out as the best player for Fulham, but he's never the worst player. He's always just solidly doing his job and making sure Fulham stays where they are in the Premier League table. So I can't not add him to my list here near the top. My fourth pick, I'm sorry, Ellie. I'm taking Fuller Battle again. <laughs> He's the striker in form right now. He's playing so well. He's the golden boot leader in France. You can't say enough good things about him. I'm actually starting to worry that he's playing too well, and he's actually getting on the radar of England, which is my biggest concern right now, that we might not be able to get him because England is starting to take notice of how well he's playing. He's just on fire. Slow down. Slow down, Ballion. Do worse. <laughs> All right, am I next? Yep. I feel betrayed, Tom. I'm just going <laughs> to don't worry, you have many months before the awkward Thanksgiving dinner. All right, my my next pick is Cameron Carter-Vickers. MVP of the entire season, not just for Celtic, but in all of Scotland. He, Him and Tim Ream make a great pairing. CCB is my pick. Okay. Next for me, I'm going to take Weston McKenney as my next pick. Just had an amazing week. Love to see him out there being aggressive, taking on players. A little concerned about the double yellows that I've seen over the past two games. Really not loving that. But I think that the performances and the strength and the skill he's shown absolutely puts him up at that the top of that list. Solid pick. He's always going to be up for the fight. And so it kind of makes sense that he's made for the Premier League. Who you got next, Sel? Who do I have next? Next up, I have... Ooh, this is hard. This is hard. I have so many. I think that I'm going to go ahead and take Brendan Aronson and finish out our lead board there. His two shots this week, seeing him go from getting bullied off the ball all the time and struggling to even make chances and struggling to see field time and then see him come on twice this week and both times on the field, take shots, both of them off the bar, off the frame. I mean, it, in my mind, it's showing a move back to for Aronson, and I think it speaks volumes for what's to come. So I'm going to take Aronson next. If only one of those free kicks had gone in instead of off the post. It's so tough to watch. Man, I just, my heart stopped beating for a little bit. For my third pick, I'm staying in the UK. Malik Tillman, the 20-year-old. For Rangers, he scored in three straight goals or three straight games. Now he has seven goals and four assists, so eleven goal contributions this season. He, nobody can stop him. Even though it was a goal today, where he took it off the defender, not really expecting it. He, this is horrible to say because I don't think it was great, but he still had the beat the goalkeeper and a defender that was flying in, and he did it with skill and grace. So Malik Tillman scoring three straight matches. 
He's, uh, he's number three for me. Someone was going to take him and it was going to be questionable to have to talk about that goal. But <laughs> I'm happy to be the controversial figure. I'm glad he's off the board. He deserves it. I can't believe that we still have got one of my top, uh, my second tier names on the board here. And he's fallen to nine overall. But Luca Della Torre is my next pick. He has solidified his starting spot in the Premier League, or in the La Liga. He's playing well. He's bagged two assists in this run. He's just in great form right now. I you just love to see how well he's been playing. And it's just a sign of good things to come. I hope that he continues this form the rest of the season. Taking LDLT, I think that from... Oh, it gets really hard from here because you've got a bunch of guys in the championship who are playing well. Trusty Horvath, Stefan. You've got some names like McKenzie who are dominating in Belgium. Taylor Booth dominating in Netherlands. And then some bench appearances or just some spot starts. I'm going to go ahead and take Gio Reyna. Didn't have his best game here. Now you've made two enemies, Tom. Chirena <laughs> has scored three goals already since the World Cup break in the Bundesliga. Even if he didn't have his best appearance off the be- or starting his first game of the restart, he's still starting and playing well in the Bundesliga. So Reyna's my name. All right. I'm going to go Taylor Booth. I think he's still available. Correct. Yes, he is. I'm going to go Taylor Booth. He didn't have any goal contributions this, this week, but I just think he's someone that has just risen from the ranks from nowhere this season. And you have to think that he is starting for a really good team in the Netherlands in a league where other Americans that have moved on loan or full transfers have struggled for time. So I'm thinking of the player that is at Feyenoord. Can someone help me? Cole Bassett got released by Feyenoord. Cole Bassett. Okay, cool. We all thought Cole Bassett, he was coming off an appearance for the U.S. national team, got the move to Feyenoord, and now Taylor Booth is the one that has risen through his skill, through his goal contribution. So he's going to be my fourth pick. It's a good pick. I had him in my fourth tier. He was one of those names I was looking at. Ellie, who are you going to round it out with? There's a bunch of names left. I'm rounding it out. And now I have an honorable mention to add at the end of this. But I'm going to round it out with Rokat Puskas. Nice. Yeah. Bicycle kick. Oh, what a beautiful and two goals. A brace. Beautiful game from him. I think that he absolutely deserves the call out for a great week. But with an honorable mention for Tanner Tetzman, who also had a fantastic week for for Venezia. (laughs) Two days we didn't mention the Euro wrap-up. It's very rare we go to Croatia. I don't think we've actually ever mentioned the name Rokat Puskas on this podcast before who is a U-20 American playing for Hajduk Split in Croatia. He did have a very good game this week, so that's a good sleeper pick. I think the other names that we could have mentioned here, Kevin Paredes continues to play for Wolfsburg. Brian Reynolds continues to be a standout for Westerloo. Joe Scali, Eunice Musa continue to start. Horvath and Stefan and Trusty in the championship. Mark McKenzie in Belgium right now. I think those are the other names that we haven't. Yeah. They get left off that I think all could have had a shout on this list. You know what I'd love to start doing? is pick like a five-a-side team and that that's our power rankings we could do that we like could draft five-a-side yeah we could add one more round and do snake draft five-a-side i actually almost have a five-a-side team if i picked a goalkeeper it, we can retrospectively do that because we like you might have constructed your roster differently but yeah that would be a good and then we could vote or everyone watching could vote whose team wins that week it's called oh, five-a-side fantasy throughout the week. Pick your players for who did well this week and see whose five-a-side team wins the next week. Oh, <laughs> I like that. 
person comes out with the five-a-side win every week. Right. The power rankings are continuing to evolve, and I really like what we're going with doing with this. <laughs> All right, the first top four snake draft, top 12 total is done. Let us know down below in the comments who has the best team right now. It's obviously me, but anyways. <laughs> so we are going to do the Patreon-only mailbag. For anyone that wants to see that, we'll be talking about Taylor Booth's preferred position and the amount of EPL players that moved to MLS at deadline day. So we'll be talking about that and giving our opinions. If you want to see that, you can join and support the Patreon for as little as $5 a month. It goes to improving our quality on the podcast, and we really appreciate the support. Before we get to that, last words for the pod. Ellie, what do you have to say to the people? If you're going to be in Nashville next weekend looking at the She Believes game, come find me. Might be I'll probably be doing an Instagram takeover for the day. If you can't be there, catch me on the Instagram having fun around Nashville and super excited to see the women play and get to hopefully be on the capo stand maybe at the game. That would be super fun. It'd be really awesome. I don't know. We'll see. But super excited to go back in action and be at a game live again. Awesome. Todd, what's the last word? Last word. Just excited to be here. Keeping going with following this team. It's been really fun. Glad to get to talk to you guys as usual. Been a busy time for me in the last few weeks, and I'm just glad to get a break from all of the astrophysics to talk some soccer. Yep. All right. My last word is that I will probably have a child this time next week, as my wife is due tomorrow, but it will probably be later in the week. We'll see. So that means also that the channel will be in the great hands of Tom and Ellie for the time being, and uh, that's where the podcast will come from. But I should be back in a few weeks. I really appreciate everyone's support. And I have a few videos that are currently uploaded to the channel, ready to go to make sure that you guys have some content as well while I'm out. All right, we are heading to the mailbag. If you want to see that, join us on the Patreon. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Peace. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.